Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new Redefining Technology podcast. Standing on two feet, having dexterous hands, developing a language that allows us to communicate, and the ability to understand abstract concepts. These are all part of the equation of humanity. Still, it is the capacity to create tools and advance the technology that has allowed us to thrive on this planet and maybe on others. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Sean, that hurt. Did you burn yourself? I touched the flame, man. I touched it. <laughs> How many times do I have to tell you? Don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. Hey, well, the matches were there. The striker was handy. I, I had no choice. And you, you just get tempted. You just tempted. get tempted all the time, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so and the the rule the 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 lesson here is don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. So the, what did you do? The, neighbor, the neighbors around in the forest certainly don't want some yeah. play with fire. You know, here's one thing. So you can't just decide not to use fire. You, you need fire, right? So did you find a way to actually use it to cook and boil stuff and without... No, just for pure destruction. Without burning yourself? That's the point. <laughs> Are you learning something? That's what I'm asking. All right. Uh, I, I don't know if I ever will learn anything, but... Uh... <sighs> The point of this conversation is to get people to think, of course. That's our main objective here on ITSB Magazine. And uh, you and I, well, certainly I don't have any unique thoughts of my own. Uh, therefore, we bring amazing people on who have experienced things, have worked with others, and captured those experiences, and have documented them books and other things and today we have an author on marco keep Kip it away from fire please. yeah keep don't keep that book away from fire i think it's in digital form as well but still you don't you don't want to set your device on fire either <laughs> um but kip boyle uh wrote a book it is called fire doesn't innovate and uh there's a lot to unpack in that short short uh title uh, the longer uh, version is the executive's practical guide to thriving in the face of evolving cyber risks. Uh, we're going to look at this from from a technical perspective, uh, throwing in the risk and managing risk, mitigating risk uh, elements in there as well. Before we do that, though, Kip, thanks a million for joining us. Sean, Marco, I really appreciate being here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, this, this is going to be cool. This is going to be Pleasure. cool. And- or hot. Let's make it hot. Let's make it a hot conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to make it. We're going to make it hot for your audience. I, That's I right. Hope, I hope they feel the, feel <laughs> the heat. 
Let's do let's do that. Yeah. And uh, I think first step first, it's a little bit about yourself, and yeah. then we'll we'll ask you about. I'm gonna book. go full full on cheese. Give us the full wick and fuse <laughs> up to this point, Kip. What have you been up to? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, so uh, lately, well, first of all, I, I you know my identity. Who am I? Right, not what I do, but who am I? Well, so uh, you know, I'm a son. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I really enjoy being a dad or enjoy being a husband and a son. Um, and, and so, you know, that's kind of what, you know, that's where I'm sort of grounded. Um, but I also spend a lot of time working in cyber risk management. In fact, I've been doing uh, work in that area since, gosh, since the early 1990s, when I was on active duty in the U.S. Air Force, I worked on a lot of classified weapon systems projects. And, I had no idea what data protection was or what computer security was or anything like that until Uncle Sam taught me, you know, how to compute securely. And this is before anybody ever heard you got mail, you know, come out of their modem. So <laughs> when I left the Air Force, I, uh, you know, th things were really starting to heat up, like, you know, regular people were starting to use the Internet. And I remember thinking, OK, I'm ready to leave active duty. I wonder if anybody in the private sector will pay me to do this work, you know, this, the stuff that I've learned that I kind of like, actually, you know, I'm kind of weird that way. I kind of enjoy it. And, um, well, yeah, so I've spent every working moment since then, uh, uh you know, in this space. Now, uh, I, I discovered along the way that I kind of have this superpower, which is I know how to talk about highly technical uh, things to senior decision makers who don't, you know, don't have a background in, in that stuff. And I kind of stumbled into that too. And so, but I, I just kept using it. I kept, you know, trying to play to my strengths. And so eventually I, I ended up at Stanford Research advising uh, senior decision makers in, in global 100 organizations. And then I moved on to an insurance company. I was their chief information security officer for seven years. And now I have my own company called Cyber Risk Opportunities. And we really do the same thing. It's a virtual chief information security officer uh, function that we perform. And we're helping customers who want to treat cyber as a business risk to treat it as an actual business risk. And so, you know, if you want to you know, ask me, well, Kip, why did you write the book? Well, that's why I wrote the book. Well, well, you sent me some times right there from that's asking right. you the question. You don't have to ask the question. <laughs> uh, well, but, but I had many other questions. So, sure. not, uh, you know, I, I didn't run out of uh, gas. You know, again, <laughs> we got to stop this, Sean. Stop me. Uh, so I think it's a very, uh, very important conversation because a, a lot of people perceive risk as something that if you do something that you don't have that risk anymore right mm -hmm. and it's static as, as you Correct. say it's like um i, I make a, a a change and an assessment in my company i figure out what is wrong now i have a great management i've had a great solution to combat risk and i i'm not at risk anymore right and then you realize that you wake up the day after, and there is an innovation <laughs> in the in the other side, the, the mm -hmm. never-ending fight between good and evil, yeah. that uh, is going to force you to rethink again. So uh, this is what I get from the title of your book. Am yeah. I am I correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is exactly correct, and I'll just elaborate on that a little bit. Please. So I think for most of human history, people have had to deal with. A lot of risks, right? The risk of running into a predator, right, that is going to want to eat you, you know, just to, you know, make it really primal, right? Uh, there's all these risks. And I think 
I think human beings uh, have, for the most part, been uh, encountering static risks. Once we figure out, you know, like how the man-eating tiger, you know, does what it does, right? Then we can come up with countermeasures, right? And so, and then you evolve that, right? Now you're starting, you know, you're in the Middle Ages, you're starting to build fortresses, right? And so, uh, and so now you think thick, tall stone walls with a big moat, right? That's going to put a, a kibosh on any risk because there's really nothing out there that's going to, you know, overcome that. And that was true for centuries. Um, even lighting a fire, right? The idea of having a fire, a campfire at night, you know, so that it'll keep the wild animals away. So there's all this, you know, we've got to figure it out and then we dial it in. But nowadays we've got, uh, you know, we've got a lot of, of more dynamic issues in play. And, I, and what I observed is that people continue to uh, try to hit this easy button where they want cyber to be a, a static risk. And they just want like, give me the thing, like give me the software package, give me the checklist, right? I'll dial it in and then I don't have to worry about it. I can just go back to focusing on what I really want to focus on, which is growing my business, you know, uh, serving customers, being profitable, you know, wh whatever your definition of success is. And I just see a lot of frustration out there because people, they cognitively don't understand why isn't the checklist working? Why do I keep having to buy new software packages? Or why do I have to keep, you know, uh, buying new hardware, right? New, new firewalls, whatever, right? And, and so I spent a lot of time trying to explain this to people and I thought a lot about it. And eventually I decided, well, metaphors really carry a lot of weight, right? They can move a lot of freight when you're trying to teach people something. And so, um, so I latched on this idea of fire because, uh, you know, it's static. It's a very static thing. We really don't worry about it anymore. We've harnessed it. It heats our homes. It, you know, uh, lets us build amazing sprawling cities. Um, but cyber really isn't like that. And we can unpack, you know, other metaphors for what cyber is you know, I think, it, you know, are better ways to think about cyber, but I mean, that's really the essence of it. And I'm, I'm going to, although fire usually equates to food, which I love, um, <laughs> but, you, but you said something which is also food bound or food rooted, which is getting eaten. And I, I certainly mm -hmm. don't want to be eaten. I like to eat, but I don't want it to be eaten. <laughs> and so what you described there when I, as you're, as you're doing that, I was picturing the, the necessity to innovate to mitigate and control that risk. Mm -hmm. And I think with, I mean, it's easy to see a dinosaur, I presume, easy to see a dinosaur coming your way and you're like, holy crap, got to get out of here so I don't get eaten. It's less likely to identify a cyber threat. Yeah. And clearly mark it as that's about to eat me. Mm -hmm. um, just because there's so many technologies and so many signals that there's a lot of noise. So talk to me a little bit about that and you can bring it back to the fire if you like. And, and your oh, book, yeah. of course, but just the ability nowadays to, or the inability to recognize I'm about to be eaten in, in mm -hmm. the cyber sense. Yeah. Well, that goes back to another thing about uh, human beings. Humans are used to seeing like the stuff that threatens them, just like you said, Sean, um, you know, I can see something coming and so I can prepare for it. I can, or, or at least I can scramble and get out of the way. But cyber is so weird because it's, it's ethereal, it's abstract. And what I've found is that, you know, people have a hard time thinking abstractly for a long period of time, you know, generally speaking. I mean, scientists, engineers tend to do it pretty well, um, but the rest of us, you know, really struggle with understanding the abstract and, uh, 
you know, most people don't even understand how the internet actually works, right? And so this is also a big blocker. And that's why I try very hard to make as many abstract concepts as concrete as possible. Because I found that that really works. If you can, if you can say to, to somebody, um, you know, that, uh, that good cyber hygiene is like washing your hands several times a day. If you can say to them, you know, using a password manager, every, you know, several times a day is like washing your hands several, several times a day. You could say to them that uh, pulling your credit report to check for signs of identity theft. Well, that's like going to the dentist twice a year in order to get your teeth cleaned up. Right. And you get a little checkup. So I like to, I like to, you know, uh, ground these very abstract ethereal things into very concrete stuff as much as possible. And I think that really helps that helps people understand it. Is there's a but there's another impediment which um which I want to kind of throw out here, which is a lot of people uh mistake their own personal risk tolerance for their organization's risk tolerance, right? So if so if you're a person who loves to jump out of airplanes, you're you know, self-described adrenaline junkie, right? You're, you take massive risks, you're comfortable with that, but then you sign on and you become an employee at a, an organization that's not nearly as, you know, uh, uh, has, has nearly as big of a risk uh, appetite as you do. And that could lead to some wild mismatches, right? And so you don't, so even though you understand that there's a threat and it's cyber related, but you could think, well, well that, you know, that's never going to happen to us. And you've got your reasons why. And so you don't take action. So just helping people understand what the, what the threat is, I find isn't enough. You have to actually go the next step and you have to actually talk to them about um, risk tolerance and risk appetite and, 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 and how they project their, their own personal uh, position on it into their work decision-making. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, coming from, from advertising and branding metaphors are your biggest ally. Like you want to mm -hmm. you can deliver a message with that. And I, right. and I like your, your idea of, how high is your level of, of risk and how you manage that. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I, I can sense that in the conversation on your book, there is the fact that you want risk to be yes. present, Absolutely. right? Because it's what stimulate innovation. Exactly. And, and I, I think that's a very core part of the conversation here mm -hmm. where we try to redefine technologies. So what drives what? And, and, and where, where do you find the balance, which if you have an answer, yeah, well, share it with us. That's another, that's another thing human beings aren't, aren't generally very good at is striking balance and maintaining balance. People yeah. tend to fall to one extreme or the other um, because it's easy. You know, people love the easy button. And the easiest thing for me to do is sit at one extreme or the other. I remember for years in, um, in my work, uh, I struggled with this. I struggled uh, with the idea that some risk is necessary in order for the organization to to accomplish its mission, whatever it is. It, its mission could be to maximize shareholder value. Its mission could be to to support families in times of crisis, you know, because they're a social service organization. Whatever it is, you have to take some risk. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get those rewards, right? Risk reward. The challenge is to balance that. And I struggled with that for a long time. And so one of the things that I teach people now, whether you're a senior decision maker or whether you're just uh, somebody trying to do uh, good cyber security work for an employer or, or whatnot, is I teach them that, you know, you, you do not want to strive for a zero risk environment. It's, it's, it's first of all, it's never going to happen. Even, you know, even if everybody gave you infinite uh, resources, just talk to the NSA, right? Didn't Edward Snowden kind of prove the point that, you know, even the most well uh, resourced organizations cannot achieve 
perfect security. It's not possible. So first of all, stop thinking about that and start trying to figure out balance. The problem with balance is, is that you get out of balance fast. So, you know, it has to be an ongoing conversation about how do we, has our balance gone out of whack? How do we get back into balance? Again, another reason why I wrote my book, because what I noticed is that there's this yawning chasm between uh, tech leaders like a, a CIO and business leaders like a CFO. And a CIO can be a business leader, but, but I want to describe a communications problem here for a second. There's this big, huge chasm where they're not even speaking the same language, right? And they don't understand each other very well. And I see this pattern over and over and over again. The tech leader desperately wants to talk about cybersecurity, but they're just, they don't have the vocabulary. The CFO wants to have the same conversation, but they don't have the vocabulary either. I wrote my book, part one of my book, so that either one of these persons can read part one of my book, hand it to the other person they want to talk to and say, let's do a book club. I just read this book. I think there's some things in here for us. Would you please read it? And then let's talk about it. So it provides the overture. It helps you build that bridge. And then it gives you a vocabulary and some stories that you can use. You can say, okay, you read the book. What do you think about that story in there on page whatever? I think that's us. I think that could be us. What, how did that strike you? And so how do you get that balance? You got to have that conversation. You got to start that conversation. You got to keep it going. And I just find a lot of people really struggle just to get it started. And so I hope part one of my book, uh, can can at least uh, you know help people address that problem. Yeah, and Kip, you, you described a bunch of business objectives earlier, and that's typically how business leaders think, right? Yep. We we see a problem in the market, we're going to tackle it. We're going to get this revenue from that. Yep. Um, Three years from now, we're going to look at this space and and figure out how to innovate and and continue to grow. So we either meet our our executives' objectives or the shareholders' objectives. Mm-hmm. It, it's all in the context of what are we trying to accomplish as a business. And then in comes the the CIO and the CISO saying, "Yeah, but." <laughs> <laughs> so how? And I want I want to bring it to the book for this. But is there a spot in the book that? you kind of described a little bit storytelling, but is there a part of the book that really gets to how to connect that dot Yeah, uh, between, between those two points? Yeah. So, okay. So part one helps you start the conversation, but I think the natural place that, that the conversation is going to take you to is, well, what, what are our top risks, right? Because we've got, if you, if you buy my premise and I, and I think it's self-evident, you've got infinite risks coming at you but you have a fixed budget, right? So you're never going to be able to manage all the risks. So how do you know what your top risks are? Do you listen to your vendors, right? Are they the people who should be telling you what your top risks are? Do you read the New York Times and let the headlines in the newspapers tell you what your top cyber risks are? Where are you, you know, if you're a highly regulated uh, you know, if you're in a highly regulated industry, maybe your auditors are telling you what your top cyber risks are. And, and my contention is, is no, none of those people can tell you what your top cyber risks are because they all have uh, a vested interest in, in something else, 
right? Their, their agenda is compromised. They, they, they're, they're trying to sell you something, uh, whether it's a, a, a new device or a newspaper, they want to sell that to you. The auditors are really tend to be backward looking. They tend to be fighting the last war, not the next war. Auditors are really interested in customer records, but what about your trade secrets? What about you know your payroll records, right? So auditors never really give you the full scope. And so that gets you to part two of my book. Part two is all about how do you find your top cyber risks and then and then how do you mitigate them, right? How do you, a practical way of finding them and a practical way of mitigating them. And, and that's another thing that I struggled with in my uh, years working in cybersecurity is I, I tried all the risk assessment methods that I could, quant quantitative risk methods with statistical you know, formulas and Monte Carlo simulations. And then I, I also you know, worked with the, um, you know, the, the heat maps, red, yellow, green, all the qualitative stuff. And I found, I found it all lacking. <laughs> for different reasons. And so I, I kind of created something myself where I said, you know what, I want something that's practical, that is a blend of the qualitative and the quantitative. I want to take the best parts of those two worlds. I want to put them together. And, I, and then I want something that's going to have a bias towards action. I want to create something that's going to actually encourage people to want to do stuff. That's what part two of my book is about. It's about helping people get traction and get out of this swamp, this morass, where you feel like you're up to your hips in, in mud, right? And every step is a painful slog. And what I'm trying to do is get you out of the swamp and get you on to a blacktop freeway moving at 70 miles an hour. Hmm. It's a big vision. I don't know. It's, been, it's <laughs> much, much better to run away from the dinosaur on pavement. <laughs> I think sure. so. Yeah. High yeah. speed. <laughs> Yeah, Jurassic Park right here. That's yeah. Right. Um, so you got me really thinking here because I, I kind of want to ask you, so what, you know, the tips and advice, but I don't want to go there yet. Okay. But I know you have some principles there that you mm -hmm. want to share. Of course, people need to read the books, but you can tease us on that. But before sure. we go there, what, what, from a philosophical perspective, I'm always intrigued by what comes first? Like, you know, I, I like the conversation about humanity and technology, technology mm -hmm. serving us. What drives innovation? Is it the money? You know, is it just because somebody likes to play with something and you run into something? Or is it because our main goal is to make things better for humanity? And I'm being very idealistic here. So when you apply this to business and you look at the relationship between innovation and becoming a stale, right? Mm -hmm, if you, mm -hmm. Again, if you don't accept risk, you may not have that challenge. So I'd like to bring you back in there and, and maybe tell me how can you even find this balance, especially when things move so fast. And I'm yeah. thinking artificial intelligence, I'm thinking advanced technology, and I'm thinking how you know, we, we have to play the good guys, let's say. We have to play with regulation and compliances, and the yeah. bad guys don't. I don't know. Yeah. Can, you, can you bring it to an example? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like the airline industry, right? That's as a flyer, you don't want a lot of risky innovation. Right. Yet, you, perhaps you want to get there faster, right? Right. With, yeah. With yeah. better services. So you, you do want innovation. How, yeah. How do organizations balance that? Yeah. You know, uh, so, you know, why do we innovate? I think I think it does come back to the idea that people want to uh, want life to be easier. Right. We want we just want things to be easier. We want easy buttons everywhere. We want things to be convenient. I mean, I 
I, you know, I, I thought that having a button in my car that would open my garage door when I got home was, was extremely convenient, right? I wasn't feeling a burning desire for more convenience there. But now, of course, I can install all these devices to make my home smart. And when my mobile phone is, you know, with me and it detects that I'm within, you know, 300 yards of my home, uh, my house will just not only open up my garage door, but will actually, you know, uh, you know, turn my thermostat up, lights, you know, the lights that I want to have lit, you know, preheat my coffee, whatever it is I want to do, right? So I think that's a big driver of innovation is people just want things to be easier and easier and easier and more and more comfortable. I mean, uh, I, and I, you know what, God, God bless that, <laughs> that drive, right? I mean, that's why we don't sleep around campfires in lion skins anymore, right? Isn't that great? I think it's great. Um, but, you know, the, um, uh, the trick, right, is is how do you put the guardrails on some of this stuff? And I think that's what you're getting at, right? So airline mm -hmm. safety, for example, right? I want innovation. Like I want a carbon fiber, carbon fiber, fiber based airframe for my passenger jet, because that's going to increase fuel efficiency and it's going to decrease uh, the, you know, the creation of greenhouse gases, right? So there's a lot of virtue in that, but how do I make sure that, uh, that the, that, airplanes that are not made out of aluminum are just as safe or maybe even more safe when they're made out of carbon fiber right so so obviously human safety and and everything has to has to be in there because it you know it, it's 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 safety of of uh, of of life right when you talk about airlines but let's talk about finance because here's a great here's a great example right let's look at distributed finance let's talk about cryptocurrency and all that. So why in the world is that taking off? And I think a lot of it is, again, comes back to convenience. Like I, why should I have to go to a bank and incur fees if I want to make, if I want to conduct a transaction, if I want to change one currency to the next, right? So there's this desire to, um, to free myself from these uh, middle, middle people and, um, and, and get my transactions done faster with less friction and, and so forth. Okay, fine. Again, can understand the motivation. Now let's look at the other side, right? So um, from a cybersecurity perspective, these different uh, crypto exchanges and NFTs and stuff, I mean, the amount of, of fraud and the amount of thievery uh, that's going on there is unbelievable. And I would, I would say there are not sufficient guardrails in that space. We're at the we're in the bleeding edge of what does distributed finance actually mean. Some of that stuff's coming because we don't understand all the technologies, and we're doing our best to implement, like smart contracts, for example. I saw I heard this really cool uh, thing the other day. I hope I can say it really well, but but smart what they say smart contracts are a self fulfilling uh, bug bounty. I think is, is the way they said it. Right. So you break a smart contract, and then money falls out. Um, and so you prove the bug and you get paid at the same time and nobody's breaking the crypto, by the way, they're just, you know, digging at the implementation of the code. So, um, when we don't have guardrails for any of this yet, you know, the government's trying to figure out like, how do we put some guardrails on here? Do we want guardrails? And then you've got a lot of crypto enthusiasts who don't believe that there should be any guardrails, right? That, it, that, that the, the industry shouldn't mature itself, should police itself and, and maybe that is maybe that is the right answer, but it's fascinating nonetheless, right? How do you get that balance? It's not easy. It's a huge heated conversation right now. I'm watching it play out, you know, on, 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 uh, in online uh, venues and so forth. And uh, I think this is I think this is how you you find that balance is you just have to have a uh, you've got to go out there and try stuff, and the, and then you've got to talk about it a lot, and those conversations get heated. 
Yeah. Yeah. And Go I ahead, think, Sean. Like yeah, no, I, I, I know questions. <laughs> I know because, <laughs> yeah, because it, it uh, yeah, I think the the main point there, and then I'm going to turn to my question, is that as long as somebody has the opportunity to opt in or opt out of that mm-hmm. model and either accept or uh, reject or divert or whatever that risk, uh, then I I personally think fine, go for it and and see. But as soon as somebody's hooked into the net and doesn't realize it and, and, and they become in jeopardy. I think it's a little, a little more challenging. Definitely. And so I want, I want to use that point actually to talk about, because Marco talked about all the good virtuous stuff. Uh, we're going to make the world better and, mm-hmm. and yes, we'll make money and hopefully that can make, help make the world better. Um, but there's, I'm thinking like restaurants and, and people who are, are chefs mm-hmm. and a lot of them, innovate and create just for the sake of innovating and creating out of a passion yeah. for something yeah. new. An artist would be the same. Pure right? delight. Just out of, pure, just for delight. Pure delight. And I can, I can think about them and, and the reason I didn't go with artists and went with, and maybe it's a good analogy still, but went with a, a chef and a restaurant owner is they are running a business. So they want to be creative mm-hmm. in, in what they make and how they bring it and deliver it and serve it and the experience they provide their customers. And they can get away from the technology. So my question to you is how do organizations and the individuals that run them that are passionate about a trade mm-hmm. and rely on technology to make that trade possible and scalable, uh, how do they get a view of what risks they have from the innovations that they're bringing through technology? At this point, the the most reliable way to get that view is to is to talk to an expert, right? Is to have somebody who deeply understands it come and talk to you. The barrier though, is that most people who deeply understand that cannot talk to you in a way that you want to be spoken to. In other words, they're gonna come to you and talk to you in essentially ones and zeros, right? That's, that's, that's the big barrier. There's a massive communication barrier there. And the other problem is, is that a lot of people who understand deeply the technology are very risk averse individuals and they, um, you know, and they, they really struggle to, to feel comfortable with the way these technologies are, are being used. And so, so that kind of gets in the way. So you've got this very, you know, typically risk averse person talking to this um, very risk accepting person. <laughs> and uh, so, so it's difficult, but to your, to your, to answer your question is, you know, they've, they've got to consult an expert just in the same way that a business owner isn't going to go out and do all the research to figure out what are the laws that I need to uh, be paying attention to in order to operate my restaurant, right? What are the regulations? What what are the food safety issues? They don't really go out there and do all that research and figure it out. They don't have time. They turn to an expert and the expert tells them, okay, based on who you are and what you're doing, these are the things you need to take care of. And they go, great. I want to hit the easy button, you know, here, you know, let's do a project. You come in, you get it all set up for us. You teach us what to do because our big thing that we're doing here is we're trying to create new and better things to, for people to eat. We want to delight our customers and guardrails. Fine. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to be an expert in guardrails. I was talking to somebody the other day about this. It was a a CFO. He's a business leader. And, and he actually said to me, he goes, um, he goes, Kip, I'm sick of learning about carpet and I'm sick of learning about diamonds. I'm not going to do it again. You know, I'm going to come to you and you're going to help me figure out the cyber stuff because, you know, this is just another thing that I really don't want to become a reluctant expert in. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And I, I'm capturing, as we're starting to wrap here, uh, something from the abstract of, of your book, which says cybersecurity is not just a technology problem. Mm -hmm. It's a management opportunity. Definitely. So I would like to finish with with that because you, you've been kind of going there. It's like, look, risk is going to be there. Yeah. Technology is going to evolve and innovate. But it's almost like when they say, you know, the, the problem is not the problem, is the the way you look at the problem. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about that and, and how maybe some couple of that buys that people can find in the book. Yeah, you, you bet. So um, first of all, I want them to see cyber risk differently. I want them to understand that if they're really good cyber risk managers, that they're going to actually get an edge on their on their competition. Just in the same way that if you have a currency risk, right? If you operate in multiple countries, if you get really, really good at managing your currency risk, but your competitor's not that good at it, then your profit margins are going to be better because you know you've got this expertise in this particular risk that that they face. Now. The quintessential example of what I'm talking about happened in 2017 when the NotPetya uh, crypto worm ran amok, came out of the Ukraine, and it, it spread all over the world. And so then you've got big, enormous enterprises like Merck Pharmaceutical and, uh, 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 and, and all these other organizations that were taken offline. Now, there were two particular companies that, that had to deal with not Petya that I want to talk about. One was FedEx, or in Europe, their subsidiary is TNT Express and DHL. They both had to face Not Petya. DHL, it didn't stop them. They got hit, but they kept delivering packages. They kept picking up packages, delivering packages. They kept, they stayed in business. Their doors were open. Uh, TNT Express, devastated by Not Petya, couldn't pick up packages, had warehouses stuffed full of packages. They had no idea what package was where they had no idea how to deliver the packages that they even had. And so they had to shut their doors. All right. So if I'm somebody who wants to send a package and I, and even if, even if TNT express is my favorite package delivery service, I can't use them right now. They're not, they're not in business. What do I do? Okay. Well, I'm going to go over to DHL and I'm going to get them to do it because they're still in business. And guess what? When you make that kind of a change, when you change your brand alliance that way, you rarely go back. You stick with the new brand. And you can see it when you look at the public reports of both of these organizations because they're both publicly traded and they both had to issue financials. And if you look at the financials downstream from the NotPetya event, you can clearly see, and they even talk about it, where DHL's volumes rose, revenue rose, profit rose, TNT Express volumes down, profit down, revenue down, in the earnings call nine months after NotPetya hit, the CEO of FedEx said that if TNT hadn't been a subsidiary of FedEx, the impact of NotPetya would have bankrupted it. Okay, so I hope I'm making my point <laughs> that because DHL did a better job of managing their cyber risk, they stayed open and they won in the marketplace, not because they had a sale, not because they run a fancy marketing campaign, simply because we live in a dangerous world and they were ready. They were ready for it and they stayed in business. So um, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be as big as DHL to take advantage of this. You don't. You can be a small, medium-sized business. I work with SMB all the time on this and help them uh, you know, become more resilient, to be better prepared for this. It's a brave new world. We, we don't even really understand yet what the digital battlefield really means to people in commerce. But if you think about ransomware, I think that's probably the best way to begin to understand how everyone connected to the internet is at risk of a very traumatic cyber event. And if you can 
you know, avoid being hit, or if you get hit, if you can recover quickly, if you can be resilient, you're going to be a DHL and you're not going to be a TNT express. Yeah. I love this Kip. And I think those examples and the others, other scenarios we talked about uh, leading up to this point are, are instrumental in getting people to think about this. And um, I'm going to wrap by, uh, by kind of summarizing, I think you said the magic word for me, which is resilience. Mm-hmm. And that, that means something different for every organization. Um, right. And that definition changes dynamically, as we've discussed, based on the innovations and, and the forward progress they're trying to make, coupled with the exposure and the risk that they, that they bring to that, those innovations. And the final point I want to make, which is the purpose of this, of this channel, is that this is an opportunity. Yes, there's an executive leadership conversation. There's a connection between the business and the technology. But there is a place for technology to help. Um, Definitely. That, that DHL, TNT example, if, if DHL didn't have the technology to be resilient, then they wouldn't be resilient either. So mm-hmm. um, now granted, they, they had the, uh, the, the wherewithal of the executive leadership team to put that in place, which is the first step. But the technology did its job in that sense. So Right. So good stuff. Well, Kip, I want to I want to thank you for setting us ablaze in this uh, <laughs> in this conversation, and uh, I encourage everybody to have a copy of the book. We'll put a link to the book in the show notes. Uh, Fire doesn't innovate, and uh, you can even so, read it on a Kindle Fire tablet. Look at that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> We can keep uh, talking about fire forever. There's a lot of metaphors with that. Fire a long runway. Fire's and dinosaur. I want to keep going with the dinosaurs. Maybe maybe that's a different conversation. Well, Kip, thanks a million, and thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll see you on another Redefining Technology show sometime soon. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Technology Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.